Hello everyone, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Con season is just about all wrapped up, and so gonna be quite a while before any of the winter events start rolling in, but then on top of that, I would imagine a couple of people, including myself, are going to be making plans for next year. Because probably it's not going to be an opportunity for me to go back to any Revo next year, but a buddy of mine in Ottawa has been trying to organize plans to make the trip down to Montreal for Otakuthon leading into the summer. So honestly, that's probably a good a time to start as any, considering that as soon as those events start getting planned and the schedules start getting organized, then it's a lot better to get started earlier rather than later. But besides that, I'm definitely glad for the handful of people that were able to show up and witness my slipshod and first attempt at a panel over at any Revo, considering that that was over through Rakugo, Shinoko, Kaguya. I definitely appreciate everybody stopping on by, and if you're and somehow a new listener coming on to hear me rant about more anime-related stuff, well, cheers, appreciate it, thanks for having, coming on. Um, unfortunately, the first piece of news is definitely not the most positive one, considering that at least Zombie 100 that's airing this season, it's not in the best of production scenarios, considering that we've already been given the schedule on how many episodes are going to be laid out soon. The one that came out this week was already delayed by a day. We are going to be getting the seventh episode coming in as standard on Sunday this week, but the week after what is supposed to be the eighth episode is going to be a recap, as we're going to have to get another week before we get episode eight. Episode nine will then fall again a week after on September 24th, and now nothing. We don't know not even the production staff knows when episodes 10 to 12 are going to be coming out, which is just a horrible piece of irony in the sense that this new studio was created to escape the woes and the production hurdles that they were given previously at OLM, and now it's just something that is endemic of everything inside of the industry as they are now figuring out. So it's simply tragic considering that it's probably the one of the three shows that I'm really enjoying currently as of this season, but yeah, I don't know, there's not really a lot that you can do through the rest of it. The only positive news that we've been given about ZOM 100 as of late is that for the most recent episode, episode 6, is going to have quite a few cameos from the entire cast of Zombieland Saga. And so the majority of the gals who are inside of the Zombie Idol group are going to be making slightly short-form cameos in terms of the rest of it, because they are going to be playing the zombies, but then again, we don't really know what zombies are going to be at play, and if they're even going to be able to speak any kind of English or Japanese or just any human-esque sentences outside of the groans and the moans and the... And so, so there's not really a lot to go through, but the fact that they were able to bring them in as kind of like an inside joke, that's kind of like a nice little piece to bring to. Now, for those who ended up coming up to join us at Anime Revolution from the U.S., there are going to be a couple of Anime Cinema Nights that are going to be lined up in collaboration with Anime Expo. And so, everything outside of Paprika, and so the ones that you're going to be having the opportunity to see between September and February is Perfect Blue, done by Satoshi Kon, the original Ghost in the Shell film, Tokyo Godfathers, another Satoshi Kon classic, which is definitely seeming like the majority of these projects, Cowboy Bebop, the movie, is also going to have the opportunity to be seen in theaters, and then the final Satoshi Kon on the agenda, which is Paprika. Which, to be fair, is probably my least favorite Satoshi Kon work out of the rest of it, but the fact that you will have the opportunity to see all five of these in theaters over the course of the next five months is honestly an opportunity that I would love to have up here in Canada, but we're not necessarily having that just as of yet. We're still waiting on a handful of movies to come up by the end of the year, which in this case is Blue Giant, the Gridman Universe film, Miyazaki's How Do You Live, which has now been 
you know, retranslated into Boy and the Heron, and Sound Euphonium's fourth film, which is fine, because it's only going to be an hour long, but the fact that we still haven't been getting any dates, even though for months we've known a handful of these have been under the G-Kids and the Eleven Arts umbrella, and they were going to be given over to Cineplex, but... So far, we don't really have a word. They say, oh, you know, at some point in time, early winter, later fall, you'll be able to have the opportunity to see these in theaters. And then we still haven't gotten a single lick of information outside of that. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll have the opportunity to get some dates for those to come up into Canada. But until then, at least in the U.S., you're going to have more than enough opportunities to see a phenomenal set of films. At least at the convention, I had the opportunity to go see Zan in Canada, Jesse Betteridge's uh, couple of panels, one of which it was including Canadian heritage moments, very much so relating to Sailor Moon, which is on Crave TV until September 17th, as Crave is going to be taking away the streaming rights for the Sailor Moon anime in Canada on September 17th, which is just completely tragic in that sense, considering that it is honestly one of the major Canadian players that was ever inside of the early North American anime boom, and now it's just, for all 200 episodes, you would have had the opportunity to go through, but now it's just all going to be gone. It's just an incredibly tragic piece, which, especially on Anime World Order, they consistently say where it's like, yeah, so right stuff, Crunchyroll store, the Funimation store, it's just, you would honestly want to get physical media in this case because you never know when the streaming service is going to lose the rights or drop the contract or it's all going to run out and then it's no longer going to be legally obtainable anywhere besides physical media. Yes, the deeper parts of the internet exist and you can go sail the high seas, but the fact that there isn't going to be a legal opportunity for Sailor Moon to be streamed is definitely something that is a little concerning, especially leading into the future bids of a handful of classic anime contracts for the majority of these streaming studios. And then a little piece to add to another one of the shows that I'm watching this season, the Thousand Year Blood War arc for Bleach, and its second part is going to be getting an hour-long finale for this season come the end of September, which is definitely going to be something that I'm curious about watching, but as the season has gone on, the first part was definitely a bigger return to form for this series, considering that the majority of the stuff that has come out over the first seven episodes hasn't really lived up to anything else for the rest of it. The closest that we've been able to see is Ken Pachi's return, but outside of that, almost every other fight that has been introduced towards the majority of this series has just been lackluster, especially with the kind of energy and fervor that we saw from the initial part of the Thousand Year Blood War. So, kind of unfortunate that's the case, but... Hmm. It's been going fine, because, I mean, I'm not really watching a lot this season. I mean, Zombie 100's been great, but as of the past two weeks, it's been getting played with production issues. Bleach and Horamiya are fine sequels as they've been going through. JJK, I was really invested in the first five episodes that we got in the season, and then it went on a four-week break. We got two recap episodes, and then an additional week hiatus, which, thankfully isn't related to any production issues. This was a planned break that they were going to be doing, considering that I would imagine the entire rest of this series, which in this case is going to be probably 18 episodes long, in a row is going to be all based on the Shibuya arc, which has been given no shortage of hype through the rest of it. So the fact that this has been... It's been nearly four weeks since we've had the opportunity to watch another Jujutsu Kaisen episode 
is just building up all of that stress and all of that tension, which I'm hopefully, like, at, at that point in time, we just need some kind of release. We need some kind of action set piece to go through in the, in the next episode. Otherwise, it's just going to be like, okay, so we're just going to jump back into the slice of life portion of all these characters that we are now leading back into present day. So kind of hoping that's going to go through at this point, considering that it's been almost universally like a hit by hit every single episode over the past eight weeks has definitely been Undead Girl Murder Force. And it's been going into its third and final part that's going to be leading into this season. Definitely excited to see where they're going to be taking us, especially with the huge cast that we got introduced in the second part. And then my partner and I ended up watching the Vending Machine Isekai, which for what it is, it's entertaining and engaging to that point. So there's not really a lot else that you need. It's a vending machine isekai, and while that initially is just an incredibly dubious and stupid premise, at least it takes the inspiration and the information for all the experience that whoever this author is has on the topic of vending machines. They use that kind of background information to a phenomenal degree with the varying amount of pieces and machines that you can incorporate through just one genre of that specific trader. But it's it's fine. It is totally fine. Nothing great, nothing terrible, but at the very least, we're having some fun with it. And although last week, I probably won't be talking about it once it's over, unless some huge revelation is going through, but the first two episodes of Ahsoka just dropped for Star Wars out on Disney+. And for me, I knew that it was going to have references and allegiances to characters back to Star Wars Rebels, which was another Dave Filoni project. But the fact that it is literally just Rebels Season 5 live action with a bigger budget is definitely something that I'm curious about as to what the greater expanse on towards Ahsoka's continuous character and what she represents, especially with what Rebels introduced in its first couple of seasons. So we'll just have to wait and see how this goes out over the next six weeks. And now to get to the meat of the episode, the one that I was specifically going to talk about is that at some point, I don't know if I was just drunk or if it just totally like slipped my mind on the rest of it, I just put in a topic down on my notes that just said Modern Studios. And so I don't know if that was supposed to be look at every single studio that is currently making anime, which at this point is nearing 500, so there's no fucking way I'm doing that. Um, like, not necessarily 500 anime studios, but 500 studios that are attributed towards animation, whether it's animation studios that do stuff for video games or for film or for television or like other realms of television there have been 500 studios connected to the anime industry that have helped it in some way shape or form. but at least what i was able to twist that into now is kind of just well modern anime studios like when like where does the modern start and the does it go in the 2010s does it go into the 2000s because it's the new millennium with was it before DigiPaint? Was it after DigiPaint? Like, where exactly does this start? And considering the large list of studios that are in action now, the best way that I was able to dilute it down into it is the modern-day streaming equivalent. And so Crunchyroll and Funimation had already been streaming stuff since 2010, as Crunchyroll started getting into the legal and legit ways to go through streaming services because I do believe that their first major in was that they had almost all the rights to Naruto and Naruto Shippuden and so they were able to build on that towards the 2010s and then Funimation and Crunchyroll ended up joining out between 2014 and 2017 but 2017 in particular was the year that 
everything started going crazy, where it was just Crunchyroll was at the height of its popularity, taking over the vast majority of anime that was distributed over worldwide, but then you ended up getting Funimation coming into the mix, Amazon Prime introducing Anime Strike, which was a complete fucking flop to the point that it didn't even take them a year to cancel Anime Strike entirely, so that you would just get everything related to it if you had an Amazon Prime account. Uh, High Dive also jumped into the fray, taking in classic licenses. Like, for me, I ended up watching all of Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive, considering that they were the ones to, that had the streaming rights for that series specifically. And then to top it all off, I also ended up watching one of my favorite shows of all time, which is Run with the Wind. And so consistently, they do have like one or two shows per season that do breakouts, specifically like what I talked about at the panel, Oshinoko. That was their biggest debut series over its six years since its, its from the six years since its inception. So the fact that they were able to do that with their title and they're going to be the ones considering moving on with everything Oshinoko related, that's honestly massive. But for the purpose of this podcast episode, I'm going to be keeping it specifically to 2017 and onwards as to what the studios have been putting out through the rest of their projects. So I guess the small ones that I'd like to at least mention but get out of the way quickly. Uh, Dean was, I mean, before 2017, having kind of like a miniature renaissance in the fact that they ended up getting Konosuba going. They had Rakugo Shinju, as I talked about previously in my panel, and Haven't You Heard I'm Sakamoto, all within the span of a year. They were originally known for being the first Fate Stay Night adaptation, the first Unlimited Blade Works adaptation, but then they were doing stuff like Pupa and like random shit like that and not necessarily getting a lot of stuff done. And so ever since 2017, Dean has kind of just fallen off the map. The only major property that they have going for him is Log Horizon, which unfortunately has just kind of fallen off, especially with all the relations happening with, with the mangaka, considering with his tax evasion and everything else, not being able to get any more uh, Lock Horizon off the ground for any more adaptations. So kind of unfortunate in that case, but eh, there's not much you can do there. Dokobo as well, since they were the studio that ended up doing Oshinoko. They, do ha they did have a handful of slightly successful series relating to My Senpai is Annoying, Shikimori, and almost every cute girl's doing cute things show that they put out, which in this case is like three to four a year. But there's not really a lot that they do outside of that to break their mold. So the fact that Oshinoko is trying to lead that charge is definitely formidable. Uh, Studio Gohans, I honestly just shouldn't recommend them at all. It's just the fact that they've got two shows coming out in this same season where it's just the I can't find my glasses shit and then the depressed cat is living inside of a Japanese apartment taking care of the majority of the home cleaning stuff for his alcoholic and salary-driven female roommate and it's just kind of like, okay, fine. But they were the ones behind Handshakers, Ws, and honestly one of the first shows that I ever watched when back in 2012, which was K-Project. But I haven't necessarily given them the time of day outside of that, so there's not really a lot that I could do. JC Staff is kind of in a similar vein, where they were very much like A1 Pictures, as they had a lot of series going simultaneously, but the two that they had that really ended up, for better or worse, making a claim were Is Run to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon, as well as the entire Rail Deck series, so Scientific Railgun and Magical Index. So... The project for sure that they give the most love and time and dedication to is basically the Railgun series that they've got going, as well as, what is it, Certain Accelerator, everything inside of the Raildex canon, which 
completely fell off the face of the earth because they had, for some reason, they put themselves into two major decisions in the late 2010s, specifically relating to a certain magical index, because they were either going to remake it entirely from scratch, or they were going to continue onwards and do 39 episodes of the third season, which in this case was the World War III arc of the Index light novels. And so they decided to go with the latter, and it was honestly one of the worst adaptations just of a work period that I had ever seen. It, nobody was happy with the third season of Index, considering that it was definitely one of those season three when shows that was always a common meme in the late 2000s and the early 2010s, but the fact that it just let everybody down and now they are hard-locked into if they ever decide to do any more Index stuff, which they have more than enough content to work with, they're going to have to continuously move forward and do Season 4. So it's... I, I just don't know, man. JC Staff doesn't really have a lot to go off of, so they're in a really rough spot. And then Sunrise as well. Outside of uh, Wave Listen to Me, which was probably one of my favorite shows of 2020, Sunrise is in charge of the majority of the Love Live and almost everything related to Gundam, so they will always be relevant and always be, like, making that sweet dough since those two franchises on their own will do more than enough to sustain them into the future. But now for modern studios specifically. MAPPA in of itself is probably the most popular studio as of late. They, I believe, started back in 2013 as they broke off of Madhouse, but as of late... They just had such an up-and-down section, especially like one of the shakiest starts when they started picking up as many projects as humanly possible in 2017 onwards, where it's like they had God of High School, they had tacked off Destiny, they had the fucking Yasuke adaptation, which was honestly one of the worst shows I had ever seen. And then you end up getting through like some good stuff, like you had Zombieland Saga, Inuyashiki got a lot of press going towards the rest of it, Dororo as well, once it was able to ramp up in its second half. Although you had a couple of opportunities between the rest of it to have stuff like Grand Blue Fantasy and Dorohe Doro come in the mix, one being a manga adaptation and one of them being a video game adaptation, and they both did phenomenal jobs in their respective sections, but then the most recent things that they are most well known for definitely comes down towards Jujutsu Kaisen, the final seasons of Attack on Titan, basically seasons four onwards. Vinland Saga's second season, which they ended up picking up from Studio Wits, and then as of late, one of the most hyped, and to be fair, one of my favorite shows that MAPPA's made, Chainsaw Man. Especially with what MAPPA's going to be doing in the future, with Vinland Saga's third season, Chainsaw Man's second season, the final OVA, which we should get by the end of the year for the final chapter of Attack on Titan, and currently, as I was saying before, they are doing Jujutsu Kaisen with their second season as well. Even though it is a different director, with what he was able to accomplish with the first five episodes, doing the quote-unquote prequel to what this second season's going to be about, I dare say it's like easily in good hands. Now, Studio Bones in particular, has got a wide variety of talents and works under their belt, where it's they're probably not one of my favorites. They're definitely close, especially with the kind of people that they're able to employ for the majority of their products. So you definitely know them for Bungo Stray Dogs, very much so for My Hero Academia, but for some of the smaller stuff that they've done collaborations with, I mean, they did Hisone Tomasutan, which is a really interesting human drama with uh, dragon fighter jets, which is, if that's something that's up your alley, definitely go for it. It is a phenomenal 12-episode series. And then they did a Shinichiro Watanabe project with Carolyn Tuesday. 
And then in terms of one of the most recent uh, films that they ended up doing was kind of like a hit in the miss, like very shaky for me, but still enjoyed it nonetheless, which was Josie and the Tigerfish. For more crazy productions, they've been doing Skate, they've been doing Case Study of Vanidas, but the most well-known one that they've done recently is Mob Psycho 100. And even though I do believe that Mob Psycho probably, when I say its final season was the weakest of its three, I mean its weakest season was a seven, where the other two were eights and nines. And it's just what they were able to accomplish, which to be fair for me, at least with the second season, is probably going to be a modern classic. And if we're talking about like modern shonen to recommend to people, that is an open, cut and dry, open shut, cut and dry story, then Mob Psycho 100 is easily like one of the best recommendations you can give to somebody who is getting into anime. Now for Cloverworks, Cloverworks basically broke off most of their stuff from A1 and Aniplex, and they do a lot of collaborations with them as well as a couple of studios that I'll talk about later, but Cloverworks itself is probably one of the shakiest ups and downs, like probably the not really a biggest hill and valley sort of deal, but the works that they cover can be inside of the same genre, but very drastically inside of quality. I mean, Cloverworks did do a collaboration with Studio Trigger for Darling in the Franks. That was a total dumpster fire. Buddy Girl Senpai, I only ended up getting into because everybody on fucking Reddit was like proclaiming this as the next big, like, high school romance show, like, after Monogatari. And it's just kind of like, there's no fucking way, right? And they were totally wrong. Like, at that point, if you're telling me that this is the next Monogatari, then I really fucking hope not. I did end up watching the 12 episodes, but at least the sequel films and everything else that came out afterwards, I'm just, like, letting Sleeping Dogs lie because I'm definitely not going to be getting back in this series. Like, Promise Neverland is just a microcosm of what the entire studio, like, is known for, considering that there's not really a lot that they could have done with the second season that shall not be named. But, I mean, the first season of Promise Neverland was an amazing introduction to that world and to that story. But due to... Pro like producers and their relationship with the mangaka and their like with index a major choice to forego the majority of the story to get it done basically spelt its downfall and then now nobody is going to be touching this series ever because you're talking about a technically open and shut 24 episode story where the first half is amazing and the second half takes a nosedive so fucking hard then you would Assume it's the Marianas Trench. But they do end up getting a couple of decent romances. You've got Horamiya. You've got Sono Bisk Doll. Wonder Egg Priority is kind of similar to Promise Neverland, except for the fact that it was a last episode just tragedy, especially with the delay, especially with what people were talking about and hyping up and the overall, like, like it's a microcosm of Promise Neverland because they had eight amazing episodes and then... The writer himself just really started going off the rails with his specific ideas on what he wanted the show to be, resulting in a fine transition into psychological horror, but then not just finishing it succinctly and never being able to have the opportunity to just communicate with everybody involved in the production. And then it just led to one of the like most tragic whimpers of a series that I had seen in a long time. Shadow's House and Tokyo 24 are kind of like varying degrees of just like what the hell is going on, but I've heard decent things about Shadow's House. I don't recommend Tokyo 24, but then as of late, their two most recent projects, one of which is a collaboration with, with Studio for Spy Family, and then Bochi the Rock have just been rocket pieces of success. 
over the past 12 months. And so the fact that they've been able to adapt those series so well and with such a good degree of collaboration with Wit Studio and what they were able to adapt into these stories and elevate the source material to such a high degree, it's definitely one of those shows where it's like, oh yeah, no, like you could recommend both of these shows to almost anybody as they are phenomenal introductions into the world of anime, especially with how recent they are. The only problem is, is that with most recent introductions, unlike the previous ones, they're, they're not just cut and dry. They are still ongoing, so there's not really a lot that you can do to recommend somebody. It's like, so where's the rest of it? It's like, ah, oh, well, it doesn't exist. I mean, it exists on pen and paper in manga form, but there's not really a lot because neither of the stories are complete. It's like, okay, does that happen a lot? It's like, oh, son, welcome to anime. The vast majority of shows that you're going to watch are never going to have endings. Now, A1 Pictures, like relating to Cloverworks, had its heyday in the early... 2010s, considering that they got so much... I mean, the studio itself, A1 Pictures, didn't get a lot of money. Their subsidiary and their distribution, Anaplex, on the production committee, made so much fucking money off of SAO, especially with it being one of the biggest shows in the 2010s period, especially when it was airing at the time. Like, it was just one of the biggest shows in 2012, period. And they were able to ride that success towards the rest of... The fact that they, they've, they're they still making it 10 years later. But I mean, as of late, there's not a lot of amazing pieces that they can also honestly just add to their repertoire. Shows that aren't being successful enough as they are just emptying the pockets of the studio faster than SAO can fill them back up. Because Interviews with Monster Girls was fine. Blend S was fine. Wodokoi was fine. 86 is like such a whiplash where it's like, People really do enjoy it, but also to a degree where there's just something that doesn't really help inside of its story, where there are a lot of up and downs. Their production with Nier Automata like, was definitely hindered by COVID, but it, it was just tragic to see the way that went. Uh, Hypnosis Mike was kind of a hilarious side project that they did, as well as Mashal, but there's just not really a lot to go through. Like the the most notable thing, this, okay, sorry, the second most notable thing that A1 has done in the past six years, for better or worse, is Aeromanga Sensei. And it wasn't because it was good, it was just controversial and always just a retrospective look where it's like, is this the show that we want to be popular? And it's like, no, we don't, as everybody continues to watch and continues to talk about it, where it was just kind of like, guys, this is why we can't recommend anime to a lot of people. Like, this is why we, this is why we couldn't wear our hearts on our sleeves, especially when these are one of the biggest shows that are coming out inside of its respective year. Although, the biggest show, thankfully, that A1 has done is easily one of its best works of all time, and that is the adaptation of Kaguya-sama Love is War. It is probably my favorite rom-com of all time, because not only does it lead with it lead with phenomenal comedy, it follows up on the satisfying romance to keep the relationships of every single character involved, even though there's so many fucking characters inside of the cast, they give proper time to the specific ones that require the most focus, and they do a phenomenal job in fleshing them out, holding on to their humanity while also making fun of them at their expense. So it's easily still the best one they've done, but that's more of a compliment to Shinichi Omada than to the studio itself, because it's his team that was able to collaborate and make this a reality, Are the who are the ones that you should be respecting at this point, not specifically the studio, and especially not Aniplex, because that is just something that 
is such a momentous piece inside of the anime medium that you can't really give it to a studio who's just so shaky at best. Now, I guess I didn't really want to talk too much about TMS Entertainment, but I guess because of the projects that are, that they've been involved in over the past six years, where it's like you've got uh, Teaser Takagi-san, they're the ones that are doing Yomushi Pedal, they did the recent remake of Fruits Basket, which is phenomenal, they did the recent seasons of Lupin, part four, five, and six. Like, those are both phenomenal shows that you should both give a watch. Lupin, just for the James Bond-esque comedy spy thriller that you'd be able to get inside of something through there, although considering that Breadsword recently did one on Lupin the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro, go watch that if you want a good introduction to Lupin, considering that that's a movie and it's a lot easier to consume. In terms of the combat front, they were the ones responsible for Megalobox, as well as Baki, which is honestly fucking insane. Every single clip I go and look at it whenever it pops up on my YouTube timeline, but at some point in time, I will give that a watch. But besides that, they did Domestic Girlfriend, they did Nagatoro, but then as of late, they're also doing the adaptation of Dr. Stone, which is probably one of my current favorite shonens out as of late, and so I can't wait to see what they do in next season for the second half of season three, and we'll just have to wait and see. Now, pr probably, the, I don't, like I keep saying where it's like there's whiplashes in quality, because of course no studio can be perfect, but PA Works is probably the biggest whiplash in terms of not the quickness and the frequency of their whiplash, but basically the longevity over major shows where it's like they do a batch of bangers and then a batch of duds and then a batch of bangers and it's like back and forth and back and forth. Because, I mean, they ended up doing The Eccentric Family only to follow up with Lull of the Sea and then Glass Slip, which are neither shows that you should go and watch. Following it up with one of the best shows that I've seen, which in this case is Shiro Bako, which is a phenomenal inside look at the anime industry through kind of like an eccentric lens, through an eccentric hyperized lens, only to follow it up with Charlotte, Haruchika, and Kuromukuro, which are just fine. They're like five or six out of tens, but they just never really followed up with the success that they ended up getting, especially with the team that they have for Shirobako. Followed by a, another phenomenal couple of pieces, considering that you had the work-life slice-of-life ones that PA Works is known for with Sock Request. They ended up moving on with a second season of Eccentric Family, which for better or worse is kind of like a rehash of the first season, but still a phenomenal show on its own. And then a splash of success with the Uma Musume anime. Only to be followed up by Iroduku, like, Colors something, which was... which had, like, one or two good episodes out of 12, but it was just incredibly, like, stale and boring romance. Uh, leading in through Apari Ranman, which, same deal, two phenomenal episodes led by a stale Wacky Races parody. The Day I Became God, which was Jun Maeda's, which was supposed to be Jun Maeda's return, but it had, like, one, same deal, one or two, like, fine episodes only to become a complete dumpster fire. And then Aquatope, which was something that I followed because normally when PA Works does a work-life slice of life, that's something that I'm interested in, but just... Uh, I just don't know, where I kind of like the second half of the season better because it got into the more work aspect than the life aspect, but it, the first season was just so incredibly lackluster and like one of the most boring pieces that I'd seen, so I don't know. It honestly totally fine. Stepping into the 2020s though, you've got your boy Kong Ming, you've got Akiba Maid War, you've got Buddy Daddies, you've got Skip and Loafer, just back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back bangers inside of the studio over the past two years, which have just been phenomenal series. 
in their own rights, all related to comedy, related to an overhyperized drama, into another like slice of like comedy, into another slice of like com where it's like, okay, well, you get what I'm saying. There are a lot of slice of like comedies that lead in towards the rest of it, but what they're able to accomplish with the various kinds of lives that their characters inhabit, they still all have the same mark of quality, considering that you get involved inside of these characters' lives, no matter how chaotic and crazy they become. And it's still a phenomenal aspect to the rest of it. So, like, as of late, we're probably going to be hitting a very long lull for PA Works, but at, at, they're still currently one of the better studios as of late with the works that they've been putting out. Unfortunately, the same can't be said for Madhouse, because Madhouse has been along for decades, and the amount of works, modern classics that they've been able to, and the amount of works and classics that they've created inside of their heyday are not going to be able to be topped anytime soon. I mean, this is the studio behind Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. This is Cardcaptor Sakura. This is Tokyo Godfathers. Basically, almost everything inside of Satoshi Kon's line of work. Same deal with Mamoru Hosoda in terms of Summer Wars, or Who Left Her Time. Masao Mariyama almost bankrupted his entire comedy. Masao Mariyama also bankrupted his entire company, almost driven it to the point of ruin for making Redline one of the most visually entertaining films in the past 20 years. They were the guys behind Monster. They were the guys behind Death Note. They did the first season of One Punch Man. They had Black Lagoon under their belts. They had High School of the Dead, No Game, No Life. The remaster and remake of Hunter Hunter inside of 2011 onwards. Just all of the stuff that they have been able to create have a hard time to be replicated anytime soon. But there's they've kind of just been like up and down where they're still making creative works, but not to the same success that they had back in 2015 since One Punch Man. I mean, as of late, they did Jihaya Furu's third season, which is easily like one of my favorite seasons of anime in the past five years. Uh, they did Akka 13, which was a decent but slow-paced political drama inside of a fictional country. I mean, a place further than the universe. If you're talking about a modern slice-of-life classic, then that's definitely one that I would recommend to anybody that is looking to get in an anime. But they're also with Police Pod. They also are unfortunately the ones behind Overlord. They created Don Glees, which was my least fucking favorite movie of last year, considering that it was one of the most irritating pieces of fiction that I had seen come to the big screen. But they also have Sunny Boy, which is a which is probably something that was a lot better binged instead of watching week by week because it was such a slipshod artistic mess at times, but the final episode is something that legitimizes its existence entirely. So that's honestly something that I'm personally going to look on for the works that they have leading up to come, especially next season when they are going to be the ones adapting Freyren at the Funeral or at Journey's End, which is definitely something I'm going to recommend anybody have the opportunity to watch once it comes out next season. And so now a studio that is on, like, the edge of being one of my favorites, but is, like, as of late, been doing nothing but phenomenal pieces of work, um, Wit Studio, as they ended up starting off their entire repertoire with the first season of Attack on Titan. It, like, if you want to talk about a modern studio having, like, as big of a banger as Attack on Titan was, you'd be hard-pressed to find any in this day and age. Since they did the first three seasons of Attack on Titan, every single one of them was phenomenal. I would 
we are so close. I mean, Mappa's going to be able to finish the story at the end of the year, but with what they were able to accomplish with those first three seasons was probably some of the best modern television I had seen, period. They tried to replicate that with Cabinary of the Iron Fortress as their own original work, not to the same degree, degree of success, but it was still fine for the action romp that it was. They started off with the first season of Ancient Magus Bride, which they handed off to another studio. After the Rain was a good age gap romance, leading into the first season of Vinland Saga, since they did have, since they did need to focus on a lot of the action, considering that was the kind of story it was at the time. Netflix's Great Pretender was a phenomenal three-part. I'm not going to believe that there is a fourth part. You cannot convince me otherwise. If it was just the first three parts, it would have been a phenomenal show, and that's where I'm just going to leave it as, because the final arc is really just not the worst thing I've ever seen, but probably like one of the biggest betrayals of what the show was, period. Uh, everybody loved Fivy Fluoride Eye Song. That was a phenomenal piece of work that was also original. They were the collaboration piece with Cloverworks for Spy Family. They've been doing a phenomenal job. And probably their current darling and project that they are trying to just carefully mold leading into the future is Ranking of Kings. Probably one of my favorite modern fantasy shows, period. It was definitely an awkward thing that they did, like a series 1.5 as of last season, but with the different variation in style and creative liberties and different set pieces that they were able to imbue into what the first season made great, while also continuing it on with two of its episodes, Red Game of Kings is like still something that is only built with the kind of passion that you would find at Wiz Studio, especially with the consistent movement and dynamic animation that they always bring to every single one of their projects. And so Leading in with that, I cannot wait to see what they're going to be able to accomplish with a film that Ranking of Kings will have next year. And then I guess I totally forgot to talk about uh, Studio Ufootable. Um, They're just, like, it is a studio where, same deal with Wit Studio, incredibly close to, like, being one of my favorites because they give such a stamp of quality to every single project that they have been a part of through the rest of it. Every single modern Fate adaptation through Fate Zero, Unlimited Blade Works, the Heavens Feel films, Karen Kyokai, everything revolving around that studio is just phenomenally well put together. Their composition is amazing. Their after effects between their 2D and 3D implementation to every single one of their projects is just probably the best in the industry at the moment. But currently, the two major projects that they are going to be working on over the next six months are unfortunately Demon Slayer and the Genshin Impact anime, where I will watch them because it's ufotable, but that is the major issue that I have, considering that it's just, if they are given another opportunity to do something on their own, it will honestly be one of the best original works, I would say, in the modern day of animation. But because of the mark of quality, as well as the notoriety that their studio name brings them, it's just going to be hard-pressed to see ufotable do anything on their own leading into the future. But now, for these specific four studios, the reason why I mention them alone is because their consistent quality through every single part of their work has gotten me to the point where if their studio is a part of any project that they are involved with, I will immediately watch this show without question. They are studios that to me are currently the best in the industry and are studios that every single modern one should follow after 
without question. So considering that they have the fewest amount of works out with their contemporaries, I'm going to start with Studio Orange because just their mastery of the 3D elements that they put inside of all their projects, they're the ones that are like making the 2D, 3D fucking arguments like an entire joke, but it's easier with that because while most anime productions are 90% 2D, or call it 80% 2D and 20% 3D, Studio Orange flips it as it's 80% 3D and 20% 2D. But the kind of polish and quality that they put onto every single one of their projects, specifically Dragon Stampede as of late, which was probably like one of the best looking shows, period, all year, it's up there as one of, like it is up there as one of the front runner for the best shows of the year. But I'm really curious to see what the fall is going to have in store. But the other stuff that they have going, like they did a collaboration with Bones on Godzilla Singular Point. They are the ones behind all of the furry art <laughs> beneath Beastars. Look, Beastars is phenomenal and I can't wait for it to conclude in its third season. So they'll have more opportunities to work on other projects. And then with Land of the Lustrous being probably one of my favorite opening seasons of anime period which sucks considering that the story itself is almost done in manga but they have so much to work with but i was given one of the most unfortunate pieces of information i was able to um talk to one of the freelancers who ended up doing triggers uh ending for bna and she was like it was phenomenal to talk to her especially with somebody inside of the industry to have that kind of connection and passion and just overall nuance and experience inside the industry was just like easily one of my favorite conversations that I had all weekend. I was able to meet her. That was the best part. The worst part was that she knew somebody from Studio Orange that told me that, that told her that the mangaka behind Land of Lustrous didn't really like the anime adaptation of her work and so it's very unlikely that we're ever going to be getting a second season and so it's just such a tragedy where it's just oh my god this this is how i learned where it's just it's nice to know that now i have an idea on why it's been so long since they've gone back and touched on land lustrous but then the fact that it's probably never going to happen is just both liberating and tragic at the same time so oh god it was just so unfortunate but it's just what they are able to accomplish with their rigs and with their production and with their pipeline and how well they've been able to do and spread everything out to the point where it's almost like at the time they do work on more than one project but never overreach themselves and never put themselves to the strain to have it affect any of their uh pipelines considering with what the pro productions that they were able to give was just a phenomenal touchstone of what the medium of animation is able to accomplish and i cannot wait for the second season of trigon stampede to come out but leading into another piece that i was talking about earlier considering that she studio trigger with how heavy their roots are from gynax from the major players moving on from now what is ostensibly a shell company a shadow of what it once was and still being able to make works nowadays that will go down as modern classics studio trigger is like easily like ones that i give like some of the most props towards considering that leading into like before the 2017s i, I believe it was 2013 was their first major project since they were able to go through and do an original work in the series of kill the kill after having a handful of ovas related to little witch academia which they then ended up turning into a full-fledged 26 episode anime series but the passion project that they've been able to accomplish, which I hope to see the finale of later on in the year, I mean, 
SSSS Gridman and Dynazenon, and later on in this year, Universe is going to be a phenomenal piece and an homage to everything tokusatsu inside of their own respective worlds, as well as probably one of my favorite anime films of all time, Promare, is just been a... Like, those four works on their own would get me invested in this series, like, completely. But their shorter works like Space Patrol Luluko, and then their adapted works like Cyberpunk Edge Runners was just insane. Like, Edge Runners was a slow burn initially, and then it just shot off like a rocket into space. Like, every single one of their characters, like, at least one character has to go to space in a trigger show for some reason or another. But besides that, every, like, frame, every part of their production and their team and just the chaos and creative freedom that they give themselves to add on to the works that they are able to create is just something that you do not see in modern animation. Just uninhibited by whatever rules that govern the industry, they are trying to break away from them as much as possible to create the things that they want to create. And so I cannot wait for... Because they will go back to do like standard manga adaptations like next season, we are going to be getting Dungeon Meshi or Delicious in a Dungeon, which is also something that I would highly recommend going into next season, but they're also going to be doing, now that they've ripped it from the dead cold hands of the shell company known as Gynax, they are going to be doing a second season of Panty and Stalking, and I cannot wait for that to pop out. Now, on top of Trailblazers for the anime industry as a whole, Kyoto Animation is just a show... A, yeah. It's just a studio that I cannot give enough love and support for, especially with the tragedy that happened towards them. Especially with the fire that happened back in 2021, was just, if there was ever a studio that you would never want anything bad to happen towards because of their contributions, because of the way that they are pushing for autonomy and good pay and good hours and good salaries for people inside the animation industry, but the fact that they were the ones that ended up getting hit by an arson attack in 2021, just was one of the shittiest things that I've, like, seen to happen to a modern animation studio, just period. Because what they've been able to accomplish with their works, like, through canon, through Clanad, through Haruhi Suzumiya, Tomiko Love Story, Sarune, Free, just, like, those back-to-back -back works on their own are just something phenomenal to tap into that kind of an, an industry, regardless of it's just the cute girls doing cute things genre, as they were, like, almost pioneers of, like, look at K-On! Like, it was an absolutely phenomenal piece that they were able to add to their repertoire and just, like, be the forerunner for, basically, a cute girls movement, like, leading to the 2010s. And then it hasn't even stopped them as of late, regardless of the tragedies that surround them inside of the fire and beyond. I mean, they were the ones that were behind Sarune. They did Violet Evergarden another phenomenal anime film that you would be able to recommend to somebody getting into animation as a whole, I mean, the silent voices up there. Just the overall joy that Kobayashi's Dragon Maid brings to people in and the solace that it's able to give. And probably one of my favorite series of all time, Sound Euphonium. I'm really hoping that I'll be able to get to see that hour-long uh, OVA leading in towards the rest of the year, but Kyoto Animation even though they give a mark of quality to almost every work that they have put out in the past 15 years, they're also ones that I follow and try to support to the best of my ability because they are consistently trying to make the lives of animators and the industry as a whole give them a home and give them a place to hone their craft and just be better versions of themselves. And so now this final studio is just honestly 
something that it, it, it does have its ups and downs and it's still not going to be the best idea for me to watch everything that they've done but just what they are able to accomplish especially with if you want to talk about creative liberties especially behind Masaki Iwasa they are able to push the envelope of animation with such a unique style in every project that they come across and that is Science Saru because I mean Science Saru to me is just built on the back of Anyang Choi and Masaki Iwasa and what they've been able to build and accomplish in such a short amount of time is just nothing short of spectacular. I mean, if you start off, like, same deal, Kill a Kill was a phenomenal start. Attack on Titan was a phenomenal start. One of my favorite movies of all time, like, just period. And even though it just has a couple of pieces of, Masa of Yuasa's work, like, as a whole, as a director, I mean, The Night of Short Walk on Girl is easily, like, one of the best times I've had watching a film, period. And the fact that you can follow that up with Lou Over the Wall, Ride Your Wave, Inuo, and then a follow-up to one of his works, Tatami Time Machine Blues, to just... There's just so much revolving around this studio that just has a ridiculous mark of quality that even though it is heavily rooted inside of uh, Yuasa's creative freedoms, but it also follows a lot of good Japanese culture and history and pieces that will honestly considerably move the needle for the test of time because i mean to top it all off if you want to talk about series that they've done i mean devilman crybaby keep your hands off azoken i will admit i wasn't really a fan of japan sings 2020 but heike monogatari was just a phenomenal opening piece leading into inuo it's just what yuasa and his team have been able to accomplish on such a consistent basis whether it is a historical drama a modern drama a romance a look into the animation industry, a collaborative effort with Star Wars to give their own unique spin on that piece, a chaotic but ultimately fulfilling night on the town as a college student or some a way to find yourself inside of a small village and to find your own creative drive and purpose. You can They're able to cover so many different pieces and so many different themes and genres with such relative ease that it's just incredibly easy to love them regardless of what project they decide to come out with. And to top it all off, we're going to be getting a short film called Garden of Remembrance, done by Yamana Naoko, who, long-standing, phenomenal director, one of my favorite directors, like, in the medium period, since she was able to work and do so many projects over at Kyoto Animation. She's going to be doing a short film, since she also ended up directing Heike Monogatari as well, to then for move forward with another work that she's going to be able to do, which is Kimi no Iro. So the fact that one of my favorite studios is going to be continuously teaming up with one of my favorite directors leading into the near future is definitely something that I would recommend everybody put on their radar. And whenever you see Science Saru, you can definitely guarantee that at the very minimum, you are in for a creative, chaotic, and entertaining piece of animation that you won't be able to find anywhere else in the medium. Well, hopefully I'll be able to cover, I mean, enough about or the studios that at least give me a bit of drive and keep me inside of this medium as a whole because they're almost all of them are just teams and productions that should be given just the highest praise and the highest amount of compensation which is definitely harder to come by as of late but i just really hope that leading into the future that the animation industry as a whole is able to give more back to the creatives that are able to make this industry go round and then lead to something that is more sustainable inside of an incredibly saturated and competitive medium that is always looking to grind and squeeze out as much content as it is possible just so they can pad out their libraries 
for whatever service is leading in. But I don't know. Who am I to judge? All right. Well, cheers. Thanks for stopping by. Have a good one. Thank you.